Hey there, listeners! Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, and I'm on the phone with Brian. And this week, we're going to be talking about the 2023 film *The Exorcist: Believer*, directed by David Gordon Green, co-written by Green and Peter Sattler, from a story written by Danny McBride and Scott Teams, and starring Leslie Odom Jr., Lydia Jewett. Olivia O'Neill, and Anne Dowd. In this film, two girls attempt to connect with the undead puts their souls at jeopardy, and once again, it's up to the powers of the church to rescue them. If you're new to our show, Brian and I are going to have a spoiler-free discussion at the top of the episode, then we'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk about the plot, hit the spoilers, and get into our review. Brian, I think it's safe to say the original Exorcist film from 1973 is one of the highest regarded horror films and, and most acclaimed. Uh, but I know I, you know, I went back and I listened to our episode on it a few years ago, and we both were a little bit middle of the road on it. So just wanted to check in before we get into this. Where, where are you on this franchise? What, what do you like, not like about it? Yeah, I, um, I liked Exorcist 3 quite a bit. Um, and yeah, I, we always get shit for it. So thanks for bringing it back up and people <laughs> yeah. will give us shit again. But <laughs> I, we both gave it a positive rating, but we just aren't as gaga over it as many horror fans are. So I have no giant interest in like, don't you dare sully the exorcist. I'm not that concerned about the remake. I'm not angry about it. Not the remake, the, uh, the sequel here. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't like, I wasn't going into this with a chip on my shoulder is essentially what I'm trying to say. Okay. Uh, how about you? Yeah. Yeah. Same. So like uh, that, that original one, I think you're right. We both like respected it. And I think we can both agree like when it came out, like, yeah, definitely uh, an amazing feat for a horror film and it accomplished some amazing things. Uh, but yeah, I think where I, I felt stumped was like people still calling it one of the scariest films of all time and just feeling like maybe... Uh, it's maybe a little bit dated at this point and maybe not as shocking as it was when it first came out, but still a great filmmaking. Um, I'm, I, I had two knocks uh, coming into this one. Uh, the first being like, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of religious horror. I think we talked about this in The Nun too, and it seems like there's been a lot of it this year. And I feel like that's starting to disconnect a little bit from audiences, but I, I don't know if we're seeing that translate into box office returns yet. And then secondly, oh yeah, the director here, uh, David Gordon Green, from the recent Halloween reboot. Are you a fan of his? I guess if there's any chip on my shoulder I had coming into this, it's that I don't have much faith in David Gordon Green anymore. Uh, oh, from, <laughs> I thought you liked uh, The Last Halloween Ends. I did, but I liked it. <laughs> I actually listened back to that episode, too, in preparation for this. I was like, what, what were my feelings again? <laughs> and I had a really hard time describing exactly how I felt about it. But I came up with this weird analogy, and I don't know if you it will make any sense or just serve to muddy the waters even further. Let's hear it. But it's like if a plane went completely off course, was losing gas, and was like in the jungle and had to make like a crash landing, but the plane landed and nobody died, I'd be like, wow, good landing. <laughs> but that is not... A, an ideal situation that is not the landing I would have chosen before the flight took off. Yeah, it's not a runway. Basically, I thought Halloween Kills just pretty much destroyed the trilogy, and then 
they did at least an interesting thing with the ashes hmm. in Halloween Ends. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, strategy. I wonder if he's using that playbook here again and maybe starting from a low point to end at a high point potentially. I mean, we'll talk about the reviews later, but uh, yeah, it's it's funny that. So, so you think Halloween Ends on its own isn't a great film? It's only great because it uh, comes after what was a very shitty movie. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to claim Halloween Ends is a great or good film, but they at least managed to make Halloween Kills feel like it was going somewhere. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. And I, I think that's where you and I kind of split, because I, I think Halloween Kills is the stronger of the two. Right, uh, right. Well, you disagreed on that one. Yeah, But right. I still think 2018 was a solid movie. He just, he shit the bed after that. Sure, sure. This whole creative it. team is kind of, you know... In the mix there, because Danny McBride was a writer on every movie in the trilogy. Scott Teams mm-hmm. wrote on Halloween Kills. So, yep, same production company, Jason Blum, behind it on the creatives and the production side. Right, right. Uh, a lot of overlap. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like, I mean, this has been their mo, I guess, like twice now. Like, they got the rights to Halloween and they did three films there, and now they're doing it all over again with uh, another classic, The Exorcist. And uh, a planned trilogy here, so uh, yeah. Who? I mean, it's just so weird that everyone's just like, give the keys to every franchise <laughs> to Dave and Gordon Green. Yeah. Uh, there was also, you know, talk a while ago, but I haven't seen much reported on it in the past couple of years. But supposedly there was going to be a Hellraiser TV series for HBO oh, that I he would be creating. Wow. Um, and directing a couple of the episodes for, but. That's crazy. I don't know what's going on with that. It might be dead in the water, or it might be in development hell, or yeah. maybe we'll get news about it soon. That's wild, man. Because, yeah, before 2018, this guy, I don't think, had done any horror film. Uh, he'd, like, dabbled in drama, comedy, uh, maybe a thriller here and there. But, like, suddenly just having free reign on, on like, writing and directing films uh, in these huge franchises, uh, that, yeah, that's that's a big gamble. Yeah, right. It's not just one-offs. It's two trilogies. <laughs> yeah, six films. <laughs> and then a TV show, theoretically. Right, right. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know how to explain it, uh, but it, it's, I mean, it's, it's weird. Uh, but I, I think a lot of people were kind of nervous about that because, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what the overall, what, what do you think the overall consensus is on the Halloweens? Like, did people walk away from those, like, impressed with those reboots? I, I don't think so, right? I think people were down on the trilogy by the end. Yeah. I think people enjoyed 2018 but yeah then went down after that i'm yeah. generalizing though i'm sure there are people that hated all of them i'm sure there are people that loved all of them but right. i think generally people were like yeah nah yeah right i wonder what franchise this guy's gonna get uh next time right yeah let's see uh maybe the next friday, friday the, the 13th, 13th yeah. trilogy <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh though after that last film I don't, I don't know if that one could get any worse the one we talked about last week but <laughs> let's let's see uh, but yeah, so, so as you mentioned, similar team uh, behind this one, and I guess Universal bought the whole rights to the Exorcist franchise for four hundred million dollars. Um, so yeah, quite a bit of spend. I noticed that number doesn't actually go into the budget of the film, uh, which I think makes sense because you can apply that to all these different types of revenue streams outside of the movies. What, what do you think, as an accountant on this? Yeah, I think you can. It doesn't go against the accounting because. You can... Amortize? Well, yeah. Like you said, it it applies to different revenue streams. It applies to different movies. Also, nobody 
they aren't really, from what I understand, and I haven't actually done accounting in decades. Oh. But (laughs) (laughs) I'm unemployed, by the way. (laughs) Never told you that. No, I just feel like what I do now is more data. But anyway, I really don't think these studios have to report their earnings in any way that is a way that fans would make sense of it. Like, you Mm -hmm. don't have to allocate the dollars to a specific movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, I don't. As far as I know, they don't have to do that. So, got it. Any yeah. budget number is just what they what wanna... they say they spent on it. Essentially, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of reasons. it's not like the box office number where outside sources can kind of track that. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That's that's really interesting. The accuracy and visibility of like yeah, what the true spend is behind the scenes. But yeah, it does sound like they have big ideas here. So yeah, three films, and I think they're doing uh, some rides or like a haunted house. I think this year, right at Universal. Studios, I think. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, so I, I think they'll get. Uh, it's probably hopefully a decent investment. There's, yeah, I think it's going to go onto Peacock as well, so they get some streaming revenues there as well. So I don't know. A few years from now, it'll be interesting to look back and see if they got a decent return on this. Yeah, boy, I don't know, man. It's going to be a it could be a close one. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a big gamble. Um, also, like a huge cast, uh, I'd like in a pretty well known cast. Like uh, you have. Two Tony Award winners here, uh, Leslie Odom Jr., who was in Hamilton, Ellen Burstyn, who was from the original Exorcist, also Tony Award winner, Emmy winner, Oscar winner, and Dowd from Hereditary in Philadelphia, Linda Blair from the original Exorcist. So yeah, it's, it's quite a cast, right? An accomplished crew here. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that as I was researching. It's just one of those movies where it's like everybody here has like multiple awards, on paper, this the resume of everyone involved looks great. But yeah, I mean, have you uh, seen uh, a lot of the work uh, from from this crew? Um, yes and no. I mean, their faces are familiar to me. Obviously, Ellen Burstyn is familiar to me from the first Exorcist, as well as Requiem for a Dream. Right, uh, used to watch that a lot. Leslie Odom Jr. He is just an Oscar away from egotting. Oh, which is man. getting an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Huh. Nice. Yeah. That's um, awesome. And he was in Glass Onion and A Knives Out Mystery. Uh, he right. was Aaron Burr and Hamilton. Yeah. And Ann Dowd was in, uh, she was an important character in Hereditary. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for, for, yeah, she was definitely a recognizable face. You know what's weird? In the beginning of this film, uh, the earthquake, the 2010 earthquake in Port-au-Prince is depicted. Oh, I didn't realize that was an actual earthquake. Yeah, that's an earthquake that really happened. And right. like a couple hundred thousand people died. Yeah, I think Hillary Clinton was all over that one. The mother of the friend mm-hmm. in this, like, what are their names? Uh, Catherine. Catherine's Catherine mother, is yeah. Angela's friend. Catherine's mother is a country singer named Jennifer Nettles. Right. Who sang on a remake of the song We Are the World to benefit victims of that earthquake. Oh, cool. Real life connection there. Yeah, it's just kind of weird. Yeah, damn. Wow, cool. Yeah, I was wondering because, yeah, I know uh, Haiti had a huge earthquake and uh, I didn't realize that's what they were referencing here. That's crazy. Yeah. Cool. Uh, good connection. The uh, As we talked about, the budget for the film was only $30 million. Actually, not only $30 million, $30 is quite a bit. And uh, box office after the first weekend is $44.2 million. So 
not a huge success yet. Um, and we'll see if it'll bring in more uh, this Halloween season. Um, it's a sequel to the original films, kind of similar to like Saw X, where these films that are kicking off uh, in the future are, are just picking up right after the first one. I forget. I think Halloween picks like that trilogy that picked up after the first one or the second one. The first one, yeah. Oh, okay. So that's just the trend now when you bring a film back like decades later. Yeah, like, just ignore all the sequels. <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> Convenient. <Yeah. laughs> and uh, this is the sixth film in the franchise. So there's The Exorcist from 1973, Exorcist Two: The Heretic from 1977, The Exorcist Three from 1990, Exorcist The Beginning, 2004, Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist from 2005, and now this, in 2023, uh, there will be a sequel to this, The Exorcist Deceiver, in 2025, and uh, TBD on what that third title is and when it will come out. But mm. this is a trilogy. Parts two and three may end up being uh, released on Peacock, but we'll see about that. Yeah. And it sounds like there's maybe some doubt as to whether David Gordon Green will even direct all three of these, but we will see. Yeah, and it, is that doubt stemming from uh, the Rotten Tomatoes score of 24%? Just something he said in an interview, um, which I don't know if him saying that had anything to do with Rotten Tomatoes score or not. Got it. Yeah. And of course, the original story came from a 1971 novel by William Peter Blatty. Right, right. Yeah, I think the big news with this film opening this weekend has been like a lot of buzz about the Rotten Tomatoes score of like so bad, like 24% on critics, 58% audience. Uh, So yeah, I think future installments are kind of being questioned. I mean, they're probably going to happen, but is Green going to be attached to them? Uh, and yeah, will they have a wide release? I imagine, do you, do you think this film will end up being a financial success uh, based on the first weekend? Yes, I think it will make its money back of that $30 million budget, but I do not think it will like make enough to make them feel good about that $400 million they spent. Yeah, sure. Sure, and I, I wonder what it means for the future installments then. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. So, it topped the box office. It was number one, but it's just oh, yeah. <laughs> lower than what they were expecting. Yeah, and this is the film that got pushed back a week because of uh, the Taylor Swift movie coming out next week. <laughs> yeah, which, they, they moved it up a week so as not to com- compete with uh, Tay-Tay. Yeah. Hey, are you going to go see that uh, Taylor Swift movie by any chance? No, but I'll probably watch it at home. Oh, is, is it going to be streaming at some point? Well, I mean, I, I'm sure, I would guess eventually they'll they'll put it on VOD or streaming. Cool. Well, any other background on the film? Oh, let's see what else we want to share. The music is done by David Wingo and Aman Abbasi. Wingo is the childhood friend of David Gordon Green, and he has scored many of his films. He was nominated for an Emmy for his score to the TV series Barry. And Aman Abbasi has also worked with David Gordon Green in the past and was in the music department for all three of the latest Halloween films. Special makeup effects were done by Christopher Allen Nelson, Stephanie A. Ford, and many others, including Gary J. Tunicliffe, who seems to keep popping up in the makeup departments of the films we've been discussing lately. And Christopher Allen Nelson is another Academy Award winner for his makeup on Suicide Squad, and he has multiple Emmys for his work on American Horror Story. Uh, yeah, let's see. Cinematography shot by Michael Simmons, who shot, uh, many films, including the latest Halloween trilogy. Again, so much of the creative team and the crew are overlapping from the Halloween trilogy. Yeah. 
I, I think we, I don't know if we mentioned, speaking of awards, that the original Exorcist had 10 nominations for Academy Awards. It won two for script and sound. Mm, right. And it's essentially, it sounds like the, I read the top grossing R-rated film of all time. Oh, yeah. Right. At one point, I don't know if it still holds that. I also yep. read it was the ninth highest grossing film of all time in the U.S. and Canada. So it's a very, very successful movie. It's earned over a billion dollars in today's dollars. Yep. So, yeah. And like you said, widely considered one of the best horror films of all time. It's in the National Film Registry. So there probably were a lot of people coming into this with a chip on their shoulder like, yeah. Why are we doing this to The Exorcist? Although, you know... If, if you have five French... Er, five already. You already got... Yeah, yeah, you've already had five. So it's not like it's a, a sacred cow that this hasn't done, been done before. And people yeah. liked The Exorcist 3, at least. So it's not like it hasn't had some success with the sequels. Have you seen uh, any of the, of the others outside of the original in Part 3? I haven't, no. No, and, and in... in Part three's defense, it is, you know, a sequel to a classic, but mm-hmm. it's also directed and written by William Peter Blatty, who the wrote the original book and the screenplay for the original movie. And there's a sequel, a, a novel sequel called Legion, which I think is pretty similar to The Exorcist 3. Right, right, yeah. And we reviewed that a few sequel Septembers back, I think. So. Uh, yeah, at some point we reviewed three we skipped heretic because we heard it sucks but yeah i'm sure we'll check that out sooner or later yeah i'd be curious to check out some of the other installments of the franchise um yeah it seems like this time one might be different and i, I think this is characteristic uh, of, of blumhouses they've just come and like thrown a bunch of money at this buying their rights hiring like this top team of like academy award winners grammy winners potentially tony award winners uh yeah it just seems like every aspect of this film they've like invested really heavily into uh which can you buy talent at the end of the day can you buy a good movie i don't know yeah yeah it's like a an interesting like sports analogy too like yeah. In some sports, it makes more sense. Yeah, you can do it better. Like, just pay a bunch of money and you'll win a championship. Yeah. But it doesn't always work that way. And I think that's the Blumhouse strategy. They they just uh, throw a bunch of money at these movies uh, and, and bet on them. Um, I don't yeah. know. They have a multitude of strategies, though. They've got a lot of movies that are just like, let's make this for 5 to $10 million and it'll make 50 And oh, that's true. You know, yeah. we'll use some of that revenue to spend a whole bunch of money on. And I don't know... How much of that four hundred million is Universal's, or if Blumhouse is on the hook for some of it, and yeah. how that all works? But I know Blumhouse has a partnership with Universal, Universal where they distribute their films. Right. Yeah. 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 That's that's a really good point. Like films like uh, like Paranormal Activity. That was that was like Blumhouse early days, right? And those were like small bets that really paid off in a big way. So yeah. 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 Or even like The Invisible Man. I'm, th- that wasn't that high of a budget, I don't think. And sure. Knocked it out of the park. Get out. Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I don't know. I, I find it really easy to like be anti Blumhouse these days, just because like every movie coming out is like Blumhouse now. Oh yeah, but, sure. I mean, they've got their fingers in everything. But yeah, right. Uh, another question I had for you before we dive into the discussion um, or the plot. Uh, how? Oh yeah. What do you What do you think is the right way to reinvent a film like The Exorcist? Like there've been how many installments and around the sixth one now? Like what, what are you looking for in a film like this that can make it actually work? I don't know, man, to tell you the truth, because the format of the original, which has been 
copied in like the exorcism subgenre is so simple. I hesitate to call it the first film simple, but the structure here is just like pretty basic. Like somebody gets possessed, there has to be an exorcism, there's a demon, weird stuff happens. So how creative can you get within that format? I yeah, don't exactly. really know. Um, yep. Yeah, I, I think maybe people are just kind of sick of these stories. I know, I know. And it's like, it's a part of like so many movies now, uh, even outside of the franchise. Like, uh, yeah, Conjuring Universe has exorcisms happening. We had the Pope's Exorcist earlier this year. Uh, I feel like in The Nun, they were trying to do an exorcist, uh, right? Or an exorcism. Um, yeah, I agree. Like, th- these can be like so standard. I think what I, I remember liking about the first one is like the focus on like the relationships of like the mother daughter. Uh, her kind of freaking out about like what's going on with their daughter and then like the obviously the the father and his journey with like faith and stuff so i, I think there's a cool story that you could tell with the characters but not necessarily with the exorcist it's or the exorcism itself right yeah it feels like we've seen most of the things there are to see and what the conjuring universe does is combines the demonic possession with like haunted house type vibes and yeah that's fun it is yeah. fun yeah. Hey, uh, the, the power of a demon, like when these people get uh, possessed, it seems like they've got one move and it's just to like talk trash. Uh, is that like, is, is that it? That's like the extent of like what happens when you get possessed? Well, you can turn your head all the way around. You can oh, yeah. talk trash. You can vomit at will. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's not a really compelling package. Like it, it, that doesn't sound that scary, does it? <laughs> no, no. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm a little underwhelmed by not necessarily this subgenre, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll save some of it for the review. Okay. Still the top half, but yeah, yeah. I don't know that there's that many. I can't think of, oh gosh, there's a million ways to make this a great movie because frankly, I don't know that there are, in my opinion. Right. But. Yeah, yeah. It's a story we've seen a million times by now. Uh, hard to make it exciting. And then, uh, yeah, what I struggle with, and I think we talked about this in The Nun, is who does this type of story appeal to? Because I, I think on one hand, you have a segment that like uh, is uh, more into religion, but I, I, I can't see people like that uh, really enjoying a film that like uh, go, goes into like the whole exorcism storyline. And then you've got like others who are disenfranchised by uh, organized religion. And then like, does this have the same appeal of like all these like demons and like who's who and who who like uh yeah who's who's possessing who and that kind of stuff and the, the mythology behind it so I, I i don't know who the audience is for these types of movies yeah yeah it's a good question a valid question yeah all right well you got uh the ohio connection for us i do our ohio connection as always comes from our friend alex who owns the jukebox bar and restaurant in cleveland ohio if you're in the area go check out jukebox great drinks great food Alex connects every movie we watch to our home state of Ohio, and he says, The Exorcist Believer is a supernatural horror film directed by David Gordon Green. It serves as a direct sequel to 1973's The Exorcist and the sixth installment in The Exorcist film series, disregarding all previous installments. Its plot follows a photographer who must confront the nadir of evil. Is it the nadir or the nader? That was a naysayer. <laughs> it's plot follows a photographer who must confront the nadir of evil when his daughter and her best friend are possessed. At one point in the film, the characters seek the help of a rootwork healer to perform an exorcism. Rootwork combines a belief in the magical causation of illness with cures by sorcery and an empiric tradition stressing the natural causation of illness with cures by herbs and medicines. It was documented in an early U.S. slave narrative that was traced back to slaves in southern Ohio. Cool. That's awesome. 
He said this was a really hard one. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a that's a great one. Uh, yeah, I think that'll be interesting narrative as we go through the plot because it's cool how they kind of bring in different uh, religions into the mix. Yeah, and backgrounds for sure. Yeah, great. Nice job, Alex. Uh, anything else? Are you ready to talk about the plot of the film and spoil it? Let's do this. Okay, cool. Hey, before we do though, uh, do you mind? Uh, I just gotta take a call from the church really quick. Can I give you a call right back? Oh yeah, they call you all the time. Sure, go for <laughs> yeah, it. All right, call right back. Hey, Brian, sorry about that. I'm, I'm back. Yeah, what what did the uh, the <laughs> church have to call you about? <laughs> uh, it, was, it, was, it was bad news. You know, our, our dog went missing for uh, a few days. Uh, so when, when it came back, our vet recommended uh, we just, just be safe doing exorcism on her. So I've, I've been going back and forth with the church on trying to sign off on it. But you know how they can be pretty picky about <laughs> <laughs> who's a lot one and who isn't and apparently all dogs don't go to heaven which I try to try to get them to buy into that mentality but it didn't oh work. man yeah. your your vet is super cautious I <laughs> every lost dog gets an exorcism <laughs> exactly no uh no, nothing left un- unturned there. no risk no risk <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh uh, man man i love in in all movies that like deal with exorcism there's always like that uh that um that like political battle of like can is the church going to approve the exorcism or not most of the time the answer is no and uh or like the answer comes too late or something it, that's a, that's a really funny uh uh kind of like process that people have to go it's, through it's a pretty tired plot point like oh the yeah. bureaucracy it's uh, <laughs> it's kind of taking a while like you must be patient <laughs> exactly. oh, it didn't come through like oh. yeah I and mean, you got to schedule these <laughs> conference calls and you know people have moving schedules and stuff it's stuff yeah who who do you have to like? Yeah, who's who's the one who, who signs off on these kind of things? Like, is it someone in the U.S. or is it someone abroad? The Vatican, I think, has to sign off on them. Uh, wow. Maybe not. I can't remember. At some point in one episode, we were like, "Here's what the actual procedure is." Oh, damn. For this nowadays, yeah, um, they do still happen, but it's super rare. Yeah. I, and I can't remember what episode that was on. Oh man, yeah, I'll have to go back and try to find that. I, I'm really curious because I, I really think. And maybe we've talked about this before, but I, I feel like we should start an app that lets you order an exorcism. Uh, and, you know, have at it. You know, anytime, anywhere, just exercise someone. Be fun. You suggested the same thing on whatever episode we discussed <laughs> yeah. the the actual procedure on. And it still hasn't happened yet. So I think that market's waiting for us. To it's wait- Yeah, it's basically waiting for you to do something. Exactly, exactly. Here I come. Uh, cool. All right. Well, this film, oh, I guess all you need is a red book, right? <laughs> you can just like hand off to people. Isn't that what what happens in this film? They, uh, he just gives, th- there's a book, right? And, and it's like a red version of the Bible. Um, I don't remember a red book. Oh, I thought like, uh, yeah, when we get to that part, uh, I, I, I thought that there was a, a book that he handed. Um, but yeah, we can talk about that then. Uh, yeah, so this film begins with a pregnant woman uh, wandering around Haiti as a tourist uh, she randomly stops by this voodoo ritual where this priest places a blessing on her unborn child. Then she meets up with her husband, who's a photographer named Victor. Uh, then she goes back to the hotel and there's suddenly an earthquake and she gets injured pretty badly as the hotel collapses. Victor takes her to the hospital where he's forced to decide between saving her life or the baby's life. 
We then jump 13 years into the future, and we see Victor is now living in Atlanta with his daughter, uh, letting us as the audience know that the mother died, and we assume that he picked uh, his daughter to survive. What, what were your thoughts on this opening? Um, it was a little fine. <laughs> I wasn't wild about it. It just was a weird situation to like put these people in Haiti as tourists and then have this actual real world event be a part of their lives. Mm. And it was just weird how she was like, I feel like she was almost depicted as like a yoga mom. Like, oh. I just received the most beautiful blessing for our daughter. Cause like she went to like some, yeah, you know, root work or who voodoo. Yeah. Healer some... or whatever who like did a blessing over her unborn yeah. baby. It's basically eat, pray, love, right? It, yeah. it had a vibe like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, so you didn't like the portrayal of her, like, yeah, the, 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 putting them in the setting in the beginning. It, it just, something about it felt inauthentic and just a weird david gordon green way yeah yeah i think now that you've told me that this ties to like when that earthquake happened and it's like a real event that that is really weird to have this like based around a, a an actual event uh i think the first film has a similar opening i mean not like a couple obviously but isn't he in another country and he finds like something what something that is important yeah he's somewhere in the middle east or egypt or something and finds yeah some ancient shit yeah yeah so i i liked that they try to recreate that but this time like using uh yeah like a more relatable uh cast or like characters like a couple like maybe on a honeymoon or something or before they uh a baby moon maybe um and then uh yeah cool to see like as a photographer and stuff but uh i don't know i, I kind of liked the the tension it created and and the implication that he picked his uh, daughter over the wife. Like that kind of like stuck with me for a little bit. Like, did that surprise you? Um, I didn't really think too much about that choice just cause I felt like there could have been, could have been something going on there or that we would find out later what, what really happened. Uh, no way. Wow. Yeah. Also, I'll... she looked pretty pregnant to be flying. Oh. <laughs> it is, I don't think you're allowed to fly in the third trimester. But yeah, really, it's, it's I thought it was just like the last month or something. But it's like maybe last... it's just the last few weeks. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 this like stunned me for a while because like I think after this, I was just like sitting there wondering like why no one else in the theater was like alarmed that uh, he chose uh, the baby over uh, the wife. I feel like <laughs> there was the, a similar premise in uh, like Red or not, oh, House of Dragons. You ever watched that show? No, I haven't seen that. Oh, okay. There's, yeah, some some similar vibes there. But yeah, I, I, also, I hear you. Oh, go ahead. One thing David Gordon Green has done quite clumsily in the Halloween trilogy is like take political, sociopolitical topics and like put them in the movies in awkward ways. And yeah. this, I feel like abortion stuff is cluttered throughout mm. this movie and it's just is weird and clumsy and awkward and I don't know what the hell he's doing. Yeah. It's almost worse when, like, you try to hit on these things, but you don't do it very well. Yeah. Oh, just, yeah. Yeah. It definitely backfires. And I, I do feel like a theme can be, like, a discussion of a topic rather than, right. like, here's my position on the topic. Right. But he's bad at it. He is. Yeah. Him and Danny McBride are not good at that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. And that comes up a lot more later in the film. Oh, you know, I, I did like the setting of Haiti, though. Like, I, I thought it like it, it was a nice like contrast of like bright colors and cool culture b- before the earthquake hits. It was, it was yeah, kind of fun to sure. See. 
yeah. But I, I hear you, like nothing too amazing here. So then we spend a little time getting to know Victor and Angela and their life in Atlanta. Uh, he's a single father and pretty protective of her. Angela is naturally curious about knowing more about her mother, who she never got to meet. But this curiosity leads her to go to oh pair off with her best friend, or one of her friends, Catherine, who is, it's made known to us that she's a Baptist, I guess. And uh, the two of them go off into the woods and do this ritual that can help connect them with the dead. And she's trying to connect with her mother. Unfortunately, the kids end up going missing and are found three days later in a barn. And they have no memory of where they've been. And they have weird kind of cuts all over their bodies and their feet are all torn up. Uh, what did you think of this setting of the, of the characters, the introduction of them, and uh, yeah, this whole sequence of like, where, where have the kids gone? I was kind of confused because it all happened so fast. Like, we like, barely even know this girl, Catherine. There's a scene where they're whispering in a classroom about like what their plan is, but I literally could not hear what they were whispering. <laughs> could you? No, no. Like, was that intentional? I, I Am I just old? No, no, I think I think it was intentional. First of all, I don't think she was whispering because her friend was like sitting like three rows away from her, right? So that's I thought, true. I thought she was whispering to the girl behind her. And yeah, I, I couldn't hear much. I, I assumed it was just uh, implying like these kids are up to like no good and just like right. scheming. Right. And then there's like two quick trick, like two quick clips of these girls in the woods. Mm hmm. And then it's like over. It's like, what What were they out there doing? Like, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of what was happening there. Mm -hmm. Suddenly they're just missing. Yeah. I did not like the pacing there or the editing. I thought that was pretty bad. Sure. Yeah, it was pretty rushed. Uh, I mean, this is like day one of us hanging out with them. On like the first day we meet her, she basically goes missing. Yes. Yeah. Like immediately. Yeah. With, yeah. with a, a friend who is like almost nameless and personalityless. Like. <laughs> no personality. Yeah. Uh, I think what's cool, though, is uh, we do get some of the dynamic between the father and daughter, who I think are the main characters of this film. Uh, we get the sense that like she's like digging through her mother's old stuff. And so she has this curiosity in her to like know more about her mother. He's still like kind of guarded with her. So we are getting like subtle clues about like their personality and their relationship. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe the, oh, and I think what's, what's also is like working in the setup, there is like a lot of tension, like, uh, each of the scene transitions, like the opening scene is like her doing, what do you call those things that kids do with that piece of paper? Where, like they fold it over their fingers and then a bunch of like options in there. Boy, I don't remember what that's called. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't remember. Okay. I, I thought that was a really cool cut. Like how like we jumped to like Atlanta and like that's the first thing we see is her doing that. Or like there's like noises going on in the background or like when he's dropping her off at school, like someone's honking. So I think like there's this like underlying sense of tension. <laughs> and I think uh, that only works if you do rush this part. Because if you can't have like this part like stretch too long and that tension going because that just gets maybe tiring. But uh, that, that's the only way I can justify like how fast they went through this is because they kept it like somewhat tense. But w what do you think? Did that work or, or not? I don't think someone honking at you because you're parked in an inappropriate spot while you drop your kid off at school is <laughs> building tense. the kind of tension an exorcist movie should be building. <laughs> but I, I don't know. You, you just, you know, like something scary is going to happen. And uh, here's this guy honking like, oh, my God, is that it? Is that it? 
Is that the exorcist <laughs> behind you? <laughs> Is he going to get possessed by an angry white guy? <laughs> exactly. The guy in the kids drop off lane at a, at a school. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's 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 false false tension. But I think the directing here and even some of the camera angles, I thought were like done in like a creative way to set up the ex- expectation that like scary things are, are coming. And and like it's a little ominous in in the way that it's rushed potentially. I disagree, but false tension. I think I do agree with, and and now we'll touch on that more later. Okay, all right, sounds good. False tension. That's <laughs> uh, that's good. Uh, so then things get a little bit weird. Uh, yeah, so they find the kids three days later. They show up in a barn, and uh, yeah, as we mentioned, they're all kind of messed up. Uh, but he brings Angela home, and she's kind of like out of it a little bit. And uh, some creepy stuff now starts to happen. Like we see a demonic figure in the background of her bedroom. Uh, and then the next morning she wakes up and uh, she's wet the bed and uh, he makes her take a, or like he, put, he, he makes a bath, bath for her and she loses all her nails in the bathtub and then attacks Victor. So he's freaking out. So he takes her to a hospital where she's sedated. And meanwhile, her friend Catherine has also been acting a little weird at church and suddenly has this outburst while uh, after making like this big mess and she starts yelling the body and the blood on repeats. Uh, so both kids have uh, yeah, are going through something at the moment. Uh, what do you think of like this this segment? Um, just fine, I guess. I mean, it, it does what it needs to do to tell you like, hey, something's wrong with these girls. I do think the like demon behind her dad in the bedroom was the best scare of the movie. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, I thought that when she was in church, her friend Catherine just saying the body and the blood, they could have gone somewhere like, they could have gone harder with that. It's just Mm. like, okay, she never said anything else. She's just screaming the body and the blood, (laughs) the body and the blood, the body and the blood. Then it's over. Yeah. They were cool, but I also felt like they could have gone harder. Yeah, they easily could have. Um, yeah, I, I assume this is maybe them like ramping up, like saving like the, the fun stuff for later, maybe, or like the bigger scares for later. Sure. But, uh, yeah, you're right. Like on, on, on its own, uh, the body and the blood thing wasn't too crazy though. I think that, uh, that, um, actress did a really good job in like, uh, looking pretty creepy at, like during the service and then yelling that line. Did you, did you think that was effective? Yeah, I think the makeup work was really good. Everyone looked creepy, and the girls, the young girls, did a good job. Yeah, yeah, I think they did. I, th- I think actually that this might have been my favorite segment of the movie because like this is where they're possessed. Uh, people don't know it, and like creepy stuff is starting to happen. Like, and maybe to your point of like the Conjuring hitting on that haunted house exorcism vibe. Like, you're getting them doing like creepy things around the house and and free- freaking people out. I will agree that this is probably my favorite seg- like section of the film. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Uh, it's, it's it's a lot of fun. And there are, like, s- some pop-outs. There's, like, that demon in the background. There's the bathtub. She comes out from behind a door, etc. So uh, then Catherine's mom tells Victor this theory that she thinks the daughters have come back from hell and are now possessed by demons, the evidence being that they were gone for three days, similar to Jesus, and their feet are burnt, which is what happens when you walk in hell. Uh, he's on the fence about this theory, but after some more strange marks start coming up on his daughter, Angela, and, uh, and she says some things, uh, to his neighbor and who's, uh, who is a nurse at the hospital that like no one else would know. 
he realizes that, yeah, maybe something bigger is afoot here. And so he seeks out the help of Chris McNeil, who is uh, Reagan's mother from the first Exorcist film, who has now published a book on her experience and lives on her own. And uh, Victor gets her to come uh, to Atlanta and see Angela. So she does this and uh, she sees Angela at an institute and she confirms that, yes, that's a demon. And then they go to Catherine's house to relay the bad news to her parents. Uh, at Catherine's house, though, things go bad for uh, Chris, where she gets stabbed in the eye by a possessed Catherine who like picks up a crucifix and stabs out both of uh, Chris's eyes. And then Chris has to spend the rest of the movie on a hospital bed. What you, would you think of uh, bringing in Chris McNeil uh, at this point? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm particularly for or against it. I don't know that it's done particularly well here. It just feels like in the past two to three years, we've brought back a lot of, I wouldn't like, call Chris McGill, McNeil a final girl, but we've brought a lot back a lot of like classic female horror characters and kind of just like fucked with their legacy a bit. And I'm just yeah. kind of over it. Um, yeah. <laughs> again, I'm not like precious about this. Like don't ruin it. But it, the the storylines written for them every time it's done is they're always a little bit of a struggle or like mm. it's just never great. <laughs> yeah, it never translates uh, too well, uh, and some of the continuity is lost on the on that yeah. Character. And it just feels like such a big risk. Like I'm sure when you're making the movie, it feels like a win. Like yeah, holy shit, we're getting Ellen Bernstein to come back, and that's a huge deal, and yep. that's all we need to care about. Yeah, this is straight out of their playbook the, from Halloween, it, right? Yeah, it really is. I mean, so much of the structure of this movie even just feels a lot like Halloween, too. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I also, I mean, uh, Ellen Burstyn is a very decorated actor. I'm not sure this is one of her best performances, though. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, I don't know. Yeah, I know. And I think she's a little wasted uh, in this film, like her, her talents. Because, uh, yeah, yeah. Im- immediately from here, like, she's she's kind of put on the sidelines. Uh, so it's, it's I feel like this cameo is more like check a box and, like, say, look, we brought back a legacy character. Get, you know, get crowds, like, riled up for the during the previews. But yeah. But they don't really deliver on their character at all. Right. Like, the material she was given, I'm not sure that she could have done that much with. I just, I yeah. don't think this script was good. I agree. I agree. Um, two things I had an issue with here. One, I feel like we don't get a great interaction between her and Angela's character. Like this is like the first time since her daughter's exorcism back in the seventies, she's like face to face again with the demon, I think. Right. Right. Uh, so yeah, I, I would have thought that would have been a bigger interaction, but it's like, it's like two minutes. Uh, she just like walks in and sees Angela behind a glass and just like even written, uh, Reagan's name there, but there's like barely any interaction between them. So I, I thought it was a big missed opportunity. Secondly, since when does uh, does uh, Chris have the ability to like walk in and banish uh, a demon when she, when she goes into Captain's room? Uh, can, can anyone do that, or like did, did I miss something? Did Chris like get uh, become a priest or something? Yeah, I mean that was uh, a subject of some anger on our Discord server. She, oh. Chris McNeil, has seen like two men die in performing exorcism 
but she feels like she can just go in there and <laughs> wing it. Um, there's also some confusion about, are, are these two demons? Is it one demon possessing two girls? Mm. Because Angela writes Reagan right on the wall. Right. But Catherine, when she sees Catherine, Chris says, uh, I've met you before. Oh. So is it Pazazu in Catherine? And then there's this other demon that David Gordon Green mentioned in an interview called Lamash to. Hmm. I don't know if there were two demons in the mix then here or interesting. It's all very confusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's yeah, that's all. Yeah, they never mention any demon by name in this film, do they? I didn't think so, but it Lamashtu is in the Wikipedia plot walkthrough. David Gordon Green mentioned Lamashtu, but okay. I don't remember Lamashtu being said out yeah. loud in the movie. Okay. It very well could have. Sure. The last time we missed something in a movie and asked listeners for it, we had a barrage of, <laughs> of messages telling us, here's how John Kramer did that thing and saw X. So oh. <laughs> I won't pose the question now. Yeah, someone texted me I, about that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we get it. Oh man, like, like it feels like a dozen or so people or more have told us that, that that's how we did it. So. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess isn't that many, but. Yeah. No, thanks everyone. Appreciate it. it's always great to hear that positive feedback people filling in the holes for us yeah at least people i mean we asked and and they they answered so i I can't be mad i'm not mad all right well maybe someone will tell us which which demons are at play here and which one's which Uh, stop it (laughs) it's too (laughs) much uh yeah so yeah 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 i I feel like this is kind of a waste of casting i mean and this is a i think the scene uh i think stands out though like her being stabbed in the eyes i think it's one of like the gorier and more uh uh vicious like attack scenes in the film sure Uh, one of the more violent scenes in the film that's for sure yeah yep uh so catherine's where are we oh yeah so at this point victor concludes that it is now time to do the big e so he tells chris Chris tells Victor that he needs to get a bunch of people's help to do the exorcism and gives this whole lecture about how church is really about bringing communities together and whatnot. This felt like very preachy and like Halloween ends-ish. Do you get those vibes? Like everyone needs to come together to defeat evil? A hundred percent, man. It's a it's a message about saying, hey, all the religions of the world can work together <laughs> to accomplish things. Yeah. And what Halloween, that trilogy does sometimes is especially like in Kills, I feel like Jamie Lee Curtis would go on this monologue that had this real powerful meaning to it, and then we'd get a montage of other things happening. Mm -hmm. And Chris McNeil definitely does that at least once in this movie. Oh, yeah. And I I think it's at this point she's like, it's not the the beliefs that matter, it's the people that matter, and the people being together. (laughs) And... It just feels so forced in there and like, yeah. especially because like their neighbor is an ex-nun. The guy across the street is like a Pentecostal preacher. And then we also know some root work people and <laughs> her good friend is Baptist. It's like, oh, yeah. What a, what a like group of religions here that are just like the only five people they know are all five <laughs> different all religions. Leaders, yeah. 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 It's just, it's ham-fisted, it's forced, it's awkward. It really is. Yeah, sometimes it feels like uh, David uh, Gordon Green like treats the audience like kindergartners or something with like some of these lessons that are like, I super agree. G-rated. Yeah, I agree. I feel yeah. like he thinks he's saying something... Deep in me. <laughs> yeah, it's like he, he really got like, okay, every script needs to have like a theme. Yeah. 
And he sacrifices so much in pursuit of these clumsily populated themes that are in the movie. Like, right. This takes away from Victor's story for me. Like, yeah, for sure. And it like brings in like a million other characters that he's only needs. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Then you expand the cast to another like ten people. It just muddies the waters of any story you're trying to tell. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I agree. I I don't know. Like I don't know. If some would argue that maybe we applaud his efforts because like typically these movies are so like based on like one religion, and so in a way maybe his attempt to modernize it is by showing like oh it's not about a specific religion but like a group of people believing in something. I, and yeah, it's a cool idea, but yeah, I don't feel like it's executed uh, well at all. And if yeah, it, you're Agre- right, it pulls away from the main storyline. Yeah, I feel like some of the ideas in this sound decent on paper in the early stages of like mm-hmm. brainstorming and stuff, but then with the finished product, it's just like, oh no, like it, it, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't is- work. And and I'm not yeah. like pissed. I, I think maybe there could have been a way where you're like, it doesn't matter what the religion is it's just you right. know whatever whatever it is that that it is but yeah. he went out of his way like the whole movie is structured around it seems like he bent over backwards just so they could have that line in there and <laughs> created a whole bunch of characters that didn't need to be in the movie just to, just to get that line yeah <laughs> this was the climax of the film right here this the speech from uh, chris yeah is, i mean it's not really but it's like the the thematic like yeah thread woven through here i know <laughs> and then, i know and apparently she's like i'm getting ahead of ourselves here with the plot walk through but she's like it's the people that matter and we just got to get them all in a room and they'll say whatever the hell they want at any given time and they'll <laughs> come and go from the room as they please. Should be fine. <laughs> Should be fine, yeah. Don't worry about what they say, what they do. <laughs> just get a bunch of people in a room. They throw a party. Everyone just say the thing from your religion at the yeah. same time another person yeah, is exactly. talking. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, that's what happens here. So, yeah, he basically pulls together this, like, team of like uh yeah this exorcism team of like uh Anne who had like is who's his neighbor who at one time studied to be a nun uh another neighbor who what would you say he was a pentecostal a pentecostal pastor i think pentecostal pastor uh catherine's parents uh their pastor uh a, a healer that uh a root healer right yeah is, is that what she is yeah so yeah it's it's, it's, it's this like group root of like work healer oh yeah sure so yeah, it's it's a big big crew, and they're all going to do this exorcism together. And they've got uh, a father who's ready to lead it, but unfortunately, big surprise, his plea to the church is denied, and he at the last minute's like, ah, I can't do this. But here's where he hands the red version of the Bible to uh, Anne, right? Isn't that like a red book? It must be like the exorcism book or something. I just thought it was a Bible. Oh. Okay, okay. I thought it was like Bible exorcism version or something. No, I mean, Bible Bibles can be read. Oh, okay. okay. It's not like know. a uh, some sort of like X-rated version of the Bible oh. or like a, a red band trailer or something. But but why would he hand her a Bible? Because didn't she already have a Bible? Um, Maybe it's a blessed Bible. Oh, okay, okay. Although, yeah. again, she probably has a blessed Bible. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe there was something to it. 
Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I my, my interpretation was this was like a special Bible that was only used for exorcisms, and that's why it was the color red. It was like the red emergency button you press. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. At the Vatican, it was like behind glass next to like yeah. the fire axe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. Break glass <laughs> at emergency. Uh, so this exorcism begins, and what they've done is they've tied two girls to these chairs back to back and they've connected them up to like heart monitors for some reason so they can track their heart rate over the course of the exorcism. Why, why do they need that? Because in addition to being an ex-nun, their neighbor is also a nurse. So I have a feeling this was maybe the writer's way of saying like, hey, Western science has a role in all this too and oh. they can all work <laughs> together. Like the medical field as well as oh. like these... Root work healer type practices. Man, I feel like they're just trying to like appeal to like every audience out there. Right uh, it's a, uh, it's something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so things get weird with exorcism as they usually do. There's uh, the bad mouthing, which is the extent of what like uh, people who are possessed do. Some of your mama jokes. Uh, there's false hope here and there that like, oh, maybe they're unpossessed now or they've acted themselves, but they're not. And then some smoke comes out. And yeah, as Brian, like what we called out, like basically everyone is like kind of jumping in and just like throwing out like different rituals or different like prayers or whatever. And some are working, some aren't working. Um, it, it, it's it's kind of a cluster, like a, like a, like a mess, right? It's it's it's, it's a total clusterfuck of an exorcism, and not yeah. in a like scary, chaotic way, like a what the hell are these people yeah. doing? How did anyone think this was a good idea I type know. of way? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's like zero no, plan. Yeah, no reason to rhyme to any of this. Uh, so eventually, the priest who was forbidden by the church to leave exorcism, he's been hiding out in his car, and he decides to come in and join and go up against the church. But uh, as he starts leading the exorcism, his uh, head gets spun around and his neck breaks and he dies. I think that's like a throwback to the first film, right? Yeah, very well could be. Yeah. Uh, the possessed Angela then reveals to Victor that the demon knows that Victor chose his wife to survive that ordeal in the beginning of the film, not Angela. And this revelation, I mean, for me, this was like kind of a, a big revelation because I thought this whole time he had chosen his daughter over uh, his wife. But now he's like faced with this guilt of like his daughter saying, you chose to save my mom over me. Uh, so the demon basically asks the parents at this point that between these two girls, the parents have to decide which one's going to survive and which one is going to die. And so uh, the parents kind of declined to choose one for a little bit. But then in a moment of weakness, Catherine's dad begs the demon to save Catherine over Angela. So Angela's body at this point rises and uh, suddenly like her heart stops and it appears that she's dead. But then she's brought back to life and instead we see Catherine get dragged into the ground by demons and uh, Catherine's now dead. Hey, what do you think saved Angela here? I think it was the blessing that she received as a baby from right in Haiti. Right. Which is so it's like it doesn't really matter what they would have done then. Or yeah. I don't know if maybe the scarf was something that she had on her when she received the blessing, her mother. Mm. And so when he brought the scarf into the room, like it had that power. seemed to help. Yeah. Uh some could also interpret it was simply the choice that the other girl's dad chose her, so she died and Angela lived. But it was like a trick by the demons. Yeah, but they flashed back to that blessing in Haiti, so I kind of yeah. thought she did have some protection from 
uh, as a result of that. That's what I thought too, right? I think Wikipedia disagrees. Uh, Wikipedia's version is like the other one where it's like the demons like trick them into killing the one that they pick. I think enough people are confused about enough things in this movie that it's cl- these aren't the kind of things you want people to be talking about after the movie, like, <laughs> like just why? the mechanics of what went on. Yeah. Um, at least in my opinion, maybe they do want that to be open ended, but to me, it's. It, it's a mark of bad writing that we don't know, like, the basic cause and effect of the things that went on. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was, like, pretty clear that it was the blessing from the beginning. And, and I felt like the whole theater kind of groaned when they flashed back to that scene. Because, like, mm, this is the reason right. that sure. this, this girl's staying alive. Uh, but, uh, yeah, then, then, yeah, I mean, that, that also is, like, so cheesy that, like, it is kind of, like, a shock. Uh, what did you think of, like, the, this whole, like, exorcism? Was there, like, any... Thing special or different about it that like jumped out to you like uh haven't seen this before this was a cool trick or whatever not really i just thought it was fairly milk toast kind of um yeah. and the whole movie is working up to this moment so it better be a big moment right and to me it just wasn't same yeah yeah uh, it, it felt very like by the book usual uh exorcism stuff so yeah not yeah. impressive here and not by the super secret sexy red version of the book <laughs> yes yeah, no <laughs> by the book i don't know if they got to that chapter <laughs> yeah well actually so so i i guess like the two maybe or the one interesting thing about this exorcism i think was that reveal about uh him picking his wife over his daughter i thought that was like a cool kind of character uh develop like yeah aspect aspect of the story that like we as audience didn't know and like this puts like a different twist on things uh did that do anything for you or you kind of had a sense for that the whole time no it didn't really do anything for me i I don't know if i had a sense about it but i just i knew we would get some reveal on what happened there um Hmm. yeah i mean i thought maybe she would have like convinced him like no like we're choosing this baby and i Hmm. honestly just don't think it matters that much the the theme of the choice and stuff like that is so muddy to me that I don't even, it's just unclear how that matters. But yeah, I also think a big part of it was that her dad started saying the Lord's prayer. Like, Oh, right. He had regained his faith, but we never even knew that he lost it. Like, yeah, the film opens with him kind of dismissing the blessing that Angela's mom got for their unborn child and mm-hmm. you don't know if he's dismissing it because it's like voodooism or dismissing religion in general but it seems like we're meant to believe this is a person who's lost his faith this is nothing close to the character arc of father Karras in the yeah. first film it's just paid very little attention and there's just no buy-in to him enough as a character or what his faith ever was or how it changed that this is a big moment. Yeah, that's true. But also, he's just kind of like muttering a prayer. Like, yeah, that was just weak. There, yeah. There's no compelling character arc for him. There really isn't. Yeah, and, th- and this should have been like the big like change of character scene. And like, yeah, you're right. We weren't bought into this character at all. I think there's a line in the middle when he's talking to his neighbor where she's like, you know, you shouldn't like dismiss faith or something. Or like there are some of these things are true. And he's like, uh, where, where's that gotten me? Like, uh, my wife is gone and like now my daughter's missing and stuff. So yeah, I, I think they make it pretty clear that he's like abandoned religion, but yeah, his, him coming back to it at this point is very weak and like, it didn't get hit hard enough. I wonder on, on the idea that, uh, the daughter 
that, that like, yeah, we assumed he had picked his daughter, but uh, he had picked his wife. What if it had started out with him, like, resenting his daughter more? And so this part could have, like, revealed maybe that he never uh, wanted his, like... He, yeah, I mean, she could have thrown that in his face. Like, you resent me, don't yeah. you, that I'm alive and she's dead. There's yep. a million ways that this movie could have gone deeper into, even with the, like, basic shell of the plot points, like... Instead of them being tourists in Haiti, they could have had ancestors in Haiti. And that part of the voodoo or root work religion could have been part of their family's past. Mm -hmm. And he could be embarrassed by the fact that they have relatives that still practice that. Or there's just a lot of ways that we could have gone into this more. Who who the hell was Catherine? What was she like? (laughs) Like, It's so surface level while also trying to make these commentaries on big topics like abortion and religion and western science and mm-hmm. you know different types of medicine and healing yeah i don't know man it it's kind of like the same thing he did with the halloween trilogy where he's got all these political things he's trying to talk about meanwhile his story is just shitty yeah. and he's not giving it <laughs> enough attention I know, I know, yeah. I think uh, he loses sight of, like, uh, yeah, I think he gets bought into these big ideas and, and then, like, loses sight of, like, telling a, a clear story or whatever and, it, like, real characters and stuff. Yeah, we're, we're not getting any of that here. And I, th- I think you're right. It makes this uh, exorcism feel pretty, like, anticlimactic and, like, yeah, not all that interesting, right? Agreed, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, hard to, hard to defend that scene. Uh, so then the movie ends. He goes to his wife's grave, and uh, we also see... Chris, who's been in the hospital for like the last hour, uh, being visited by her estranged daughter, Reagan, who is growing up after all these years, uh, coming to finally visit her. And the movie ends there. I assume, I don't know, like I, th- I thought some people s- think like that is going to trickle, like like Reagan coming back is going to have some implication on the future installments. But what do you, what do you mm. think? It very well could. I mean, they seemed pretty uh, jazzed about getting Ellen Burstyn back. And now they've got... Um, Linda. Oh my gosh, Linda Blair back, and so I don't know. Maybe they'll use that in the next movie. It's kind of just a hokey cameo at the end, like oh my gosh, that's that's Linda Blair, right? But uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Well, what do you what do you think? uh, What what are your thoughts? It sounds like you like this movie a lot. So, uh, (laughs) what do do you think works? What didn't work? I'll say some nice things about it because I've been so grumpy. Oh. I think that Leslie Odom Jr.'s performance as Victor was really good. I just don't think his character had a lot. He, he didn't have a lot to work with, but I thought that was a good performance. I thought Lydia Jewett as Angela did a good job, as did Olivia O'Neill as Catherine, the two possessed girls. They were creepy. The special effects uh, department did a good job with the makeup. I thought it was sh- there were some shots that were pretty cool, like... Editing on a technical level and cinematography was good. Mm-hmm. I think my complaints with editing are more like pacing. Like, well, why aren't we seeing more of this scene? Mm-hmm. Um, not like, oh, these are jarring cuts. So that all worked well. Good, good performances. Like a, a good professionally made movie. It's yeah, it's very watchable. Good, good production value. I think good production tell. values. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Other than that, I don't have a whole lot of nice things to say about it. 
I think in that false tension, that thing you said reminded me of a point I wanted to make that not only do I feel like this movie is not that scary, some of the biggest scares were like just a cat type jump scares. It had nothing to do with the actual threats of the movie. It was like someone's hand on your shoulder, but it turns out it's just, you know, <laughs> yeah. and out or something. Like there were a lot of fake scares. The snake, you know, there was the snake in the pit. I mean, oh, I, right. a snake is threatening, sure, but it's not a possessed little girl. Like, it's mm-hmm. not the main threat of the movie that scares us for a good chunk of the jump scares. Yeah. Uh, w- yeah. Do, would you apply that, like, uh, to the demons at the end, too? I feel like we saw, like, a lot of demons here. Uh, we saw like- a lot of demons, but I didn't feel like they were, like, responsible for, like, some true, truly scary moments. The demon over the shoulder of Victor in Angela's bedroom uh, shortly after she gets home for the first time is this, that's the scariest moment where I'm like, okay, they are utilizing demonic imagery to scare us right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And I guess we get some flashes of demonic faces and stuff like in the original, but that just wasn't that scary to me. Yeah. Yeah. It was all just like vague images of them being possessed. It wasn't like, what are they going to do right now? Right. Not that many people felt acutely in danger. Oh, yeah, for sure. There, there wasn't, like, any real threat here to a lot of other people. Uh, yeah, even the church. I, I think the church scene, I thought, was suspenseful to build up, but kind of anticlimactic, too, because, like, it just ends there with her yelling. I, th- I thought she was going to do something scary. Well, what, what about the eye-stabbing scene? Do you, you don't feel like that was uh, a very scary scene? Um, You know, I wasn't that struck by it, and I can't tell you exactly why. I mean, sure, it's scary, but... Mm-hmm. I feel like it could have been done better, and it's also preceded by, like, I've talked to you before. Like, it's just, uh, like, yeah. that kind of takes you out of it, so. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess it wasn't unscary, but. Yeah. No, but I, also, I, yeah. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I mean, I, I, I think you're right. Like, that that one scene with the demon in the room is, is the scariest. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, after that, it's kind of downhill. Yeah. Um, So, the abortion stuff is weird to me. Like, him having to choose between the life of his wife and child. Like, I think he did this with the trilogy too, just stuff that's been in our culture lately. So mm-hmm. Roe vs. Wade was reversed. There's been a lot of talk of abortion in the news and late-term abortions and special circumstances. So this is very much like a late-term type situation where, or like the mother's life is at risk. Uh, the yeah. baby's, you know, matured. Like it's it's ready to be born. So it's just hard not to see like some sort of commentary on abortion there. Then Anne Dowd's character, it's revealed, had an abortion that she never told any about, told anybody about, and the demon mocks her for it um, mm-hmm. in vivid detail as blood comes out of this thirteen-year-old girl's vagina. Um, and then at the end, like they've got to choose their daughter, mm. like choose one. Yeah. And it's just, like, so much commentary about, like, choice choice and (laughs) pro-life. And then they choose Uh, one and she dies because they chose her. So it's like, what are we talking about here? Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, I didn't connect those three things together. That's that's impressive. I also feel like it's just weird to me that these movies are so obsessed with the vaginas of underage girls. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I mean... Reagan masturbates violently with a cross in the first one. And everyone respects the exorcist so much, but 
I'm just gonna say like that's fucking weird. Like, and that's a lot. I it mean, is. I know it's trying to shock people, but it's like exploitation, like shock and awe tactics. It it just yeah, that kind of like bumps the Exorcist down in respectability. Not that you can't do taboo things in horror movies. But it just felt like, oh, what can we do that's really going to... Yeah. And then, again, here they've got, like, the girls. Angela Pease, again, like Reagan did in the first one. We have a depiction of, like, a vaginal examination. Another scene with the blood coming from the vagina of Angela. Mm. Uh, yeah. It's just like, why? What is yeah. the obsession with, <laughs> like, these 13-year-old girls' vaginas in these possession movies? <laughs> and Damn, that is really just, weird. I'm not trying to be like the PC police, but it's just like, yeah. What do we? Why? What's the? <laughs> yeah, why? <laughs> and in, in a Carol J. Clover sense too, like she would argue, I'm sure that, like one thing she said in her book is that women's bodies are used in movies to test the psyche of a man, mm. and that's very what much what these movies have done. They use the bodies of young girls to tell stories about men, Father Karras or Victor. And I, I'm not trying to say this is, like, a problem inherently, but um, combined with all the vagina stuff, it's just, like... Yeah. Unnecessary. It, kind of icky. Don't need the focus on the vagina. Yeah. 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 It, it, yeah. Just put all that together, and it's just a weird thing. I'm just sure. like, what... So you're, you're kind of saying, like, hey, maybe we're done with religious horror and this kind of stuff. It's kind of like, yeah. What what is this structure? Why do we? Why are we attached to this structure just because the right. Exorcist did it? And yeah, let's let's move I on agree. to something else. I agree. I agree. I think there's a, a lot of places you could take this film. You don't have to like stick with those uh, same themes. And yeah, cramming in the, the the abortion narrative doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, did you also feel like they were trying to cram in like uh, all? Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like there's like some racial tension they were trying to hit on between like. Victor and then like the other couple maybe like religious tension that they were trying to like th- those types of topics uh, they were trying to uh, show as well I think so like just general sociopolitical stuff at one point at the hospital uh, he was they were talking about homeless people and the nurse was like we do have a transient community in the uh, and, right. um, Catherine says like oh transient is that what you call the fucking bums and it's just right. like okay now yeah. we're Trying to paint this guy as unlikable. We also tried to paint Ann Dowd as unlikable for a minute because she was upset about their trash cans. But then she's like a hero of the movie. Yeah. What was that supposed to do? I know. Oh, she's not so bad after all. She was just bothered by the trash cans. (laughs) Yeah. I think the message is we're all the same if you look like under our vaginas or something. (laughs) <laughs> so, so this is so, something I, I think david's like trying to like yeah show like the whole world can get get along together if we just look at the end of the day we all go home and violently shove crucifixes into our orifices <laughs> into our 13 year old vaginas yeah. <laughs> just just get yeah. through the day exactly we're, we're all the same <laughs> not that different yeah yeah i know there, there's there's too many uh big ideas they're like yeah this big messages trying to be crammed into this film and it pulls away from like the the core storyline for sure. Uh, I, I agree with you on all, all the strengths you called out. I, would, I, I thought like Anne Dowd was also like one person I would say whose uh, performance I thought worked in the film. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe we didn't get enough of her either. But uh, yeah, I, I think that Leslie and, and Lydia and Olivia like they they carry, kind of carried the film with their performances. And 
I hear your point about the fake tension and the unrelated scares, and it, like, yeah, a lot of the movie kind of rests on that. I did like that first uh, or second, sorry, the second segment though, when like the girls are possessed, but they don't know it yet, and we get some fun scares there. But outside of that, uh, not not too much else. But yeah, I, I think I agree. Like, not many more strengths beyond that. Uh, and then let's see on the weaknesses. Uh, I think you're right about the messages. Um, yeah, in in the ending, you weren't a fan on like the the lack of like clarity there on like why Angela survives versus the other, right? Yeah, I, I'm not thrilled about that. I do think it was because of the blessing, but um, yeah. Then at the same time, I just heard different reviews. Yeah, it's just weird. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's not that powerful of a reason to me. Yep. Um, what did and. You- Go ahead. Oh, what did you think of the the voice work? Uh, that like when the when the girls would talk and you hear that demonic voice. I thought it was not quite as effective as the original. I mean, the one girl was just kind of like sounded like a British man or something, which has kind of worked in a Conjuring movie, I think, before, but didn't seem to work as well here. Um, just wasn't quite as threatening. I didn't feel as threatened by either of the girls as I did by Reagan. Yeah, I, I felt the same. I, I felt like that was kind of a miss. And how can you top that, really, in terms of this type of structure and this type of movie? Right. So, I, it, to me, that's kind of an argument for, like, let's try something different. Like, The Exorcist 3 was pretty different and still a very strong movie. Yeah. Largely for doing something different. So Exactly. It just seems weird to to rehash the same structure again in a in a worse way. Um, oh, I don't know if you noticed this time. There are two girls, so it, it should have been <laughs> right, right. twice as good. Flips <laughs> the whole thing on its head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're attached like the, to heart monitors. Yeah, the, <laughs> all right. The heart monitors bring a whole new dimension. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like the David Gordon Green structure of like the trilogy and the structure of this movie is kind of the same. So. You bring back a main character from the original as an older woman, describe how she's changed and gained notoriety for what she's gone through. You make her relationship with her daughter strained because of all that, mm-hmm. and then make them reunite in the end. And as far as your main character's journey, you just completely obfuscate it by getting a small community of unimportant characters involved, way more <laughs> than they should be, and let them take up way more screen time than the main character. Oh, shit. And there you go. Yeah, that's yeah. But no, you're right. Yeah, so 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 similar. I, I think the only difference like here is like yeah, Chris is like barely in this. Like I feel like uh, it was it was a real shame that like they barely used her, and like that their attempt to like force her into the story was just like uh, a waste and and like not not used well. Yeah, I mean she's really not even that necessary, especially if it was the <laughs> blessing that saved Angela. Like, right. It, yeah, it it is. It feels pretty wasteful. It um, does. Yeah, all she does is get her eyes stabbed out and then go to the <laughs> hospital, which is so like then for... you know in Halloween Kills you've got Laurie Strode in the hospital for oh, a good chunk right. of the movie. So yeah. there's yeah. weird similarities there, yeah. and I mean Victor is the main character here, so it's a little different. Yeah, I do also feel like the trilogy Halloween trilogy did come back enough to Laurie and and her plight to to have an effective character arc, but I really think Kills just. Mm-hmm. took Drop all the, the attention ball. away from her to focus on a whole bunch of randos. Yeah, that was a great movie. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a very interesting parallel there. That, that, that makes a lot of... Uh, yeah, it makes me wonder what, like, if the next installments, if there's going to be a similar dynamic, like, maybe this movie is purposely shitty so that the other ones, like, look better. But I don't know. That's, that's The whole community is going to find out what happened to these two girls, get up in arms about it, <laughs> call Victor <laughs> like a exorcist. wacko. And yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exorcist must die tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so yeah, it it's, sounds like neither of us are big fans of this film. Um, I guess the last thing... Uh, oh, I guess we can jump to the rating unless you got anything else. What do, any other comments? Yeah, let's wrap this shit show up. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, how many fingernails falling off uh, a 13-year-old kid would you give this one? I give it two out of five 13-year-old fingernails falling off of... The kid. (laughs) I feel like David Gordon Green and co. continue to bog down beloved horror franchises with poor storytelling and bloated cast of characters that only further water down the underwhelming arcs of Green's main characters. Nice. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, right there with you. I'm at two and a half uh, fingernails of thirteen year olds falling off. Uh, I I think what what gives me the extra half is I I think the first. uh, uh, part I yeah I, I feel like the setup of the film wasn't too bad um, I, I I think the they, they try to go too big on the scares and, and the story here actually not so much the scares I feel like they just try to go too big on the story uh, but it ends up falling apart and not really delivering a coherent storyline or, or character journey at the end of the day so it's it's a shame man to to the the franchise uh, the, the, this film doesn't really bring much new to it or much exciting yeah, it's a bummer. We'll see what the next two do, but I don't have high hopes. I know. That was uh, walking out of this film. Uh, it weighed, two things weighed heavily on me. Does this movie suck more than The Nun 2? And two, how are we going to watch two more of these? Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm a little worried. But we're going to do it? We're going to do it, yeah. Uh, I, I can't believe they just did like a, another, like a three-movie deal. It's like, I know, right? Jeez. <laughs> Well, I, I wonder, like, the Halloween franchise must have, like, done really well at the box office. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You don't need to make a good movie for it to do well at the box office. You just right. need intellectual property, and they know that. They know that, so. Yeah, yeah. They know what they're doing there. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, anything else? That's all I got. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion on The Exorcist Believer. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That's going to help other people find our show, and we always welcome the feedback. If you want to join in the discussion, you can find our social links on horrormovieclub.com, or you can shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We're going to be announcing next week's movie on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We're also on Discord, where you can find other horror listeners uh, or other horror fans uh, talking about the genre. The link to that is on our website. Our logo is by Amy Mae Popart. You can find her and some cool merchandise to our show on Etsy.com. And until next time, if you need to do uh, an exorcism and you don't have time to wait on the church to prove it, check out Brian and I's app, The Expressicism, where we deliver an exorcism to your door within minutes. Usually, <laughs> probably someone. <laughs> Your exorcist is approaching. Yeah, exactly. Meet him outside. <laughs> he's, he's got the red book on him, so good things get. 